Hello and welcome to Tuesdays at APA Chicago, our monthly after-hours lecture series held at APA's Burnham Conference Center. My name is David Morley. I'm a senior research associate at APA and host of Tuesdays at APA Chicago. Information on previous and future presentations is available on APA's website, www.planning.org, under the section called Events. And that's also where you can find select past programs as podcasts. Tonight we have with us Heather Tabert and Tony Mano. Heather is the Manager of Local Planning and Programs at the Regional Transportation Authority of Northeastern Illinois, where she specializes in planning for and implementing transit-oriented development and transit access improvements. Tony is a Project Manager at RTA, where he leads the agency's efforts in support of communities working to implement recommendations in RTA-funded transit-oriented development plans. The RTA has been an active leader in transit-oriented development planning and implementation in the Chicago region for over 16 years. Through its community planning program, RTA provides funding and planning assistance. Heather and Tony are here tonight to discuss how the community planning program has transformed over time in response to community needs, and they will share results of a recent survey of TOD residents and case studies of several diverse communities from throughout the region that have taken TOD planning from vision to reality. Please join me in welcoming Heather Tabert and Tony Mano. Okay. Thank you, David. Everyone hear me okay? I'm doing this right. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming out tonight. I know it's a very cold night, so thank you for um, you know, making your way here. Everyone's got their warm coats and everything. So we'll try to make this worth your while. Um, as David said, um, our topic here is supporting TOD in Metro Chicago, which is a pretty broad category, um, but we do a lot of work in the area of TOD, so we've got... Um, kind of a variety of different things we're going to cover tonight, so we'll just get right into it. For those of you who aren't familiar with the RTA, we're the planning, oversight, and funding agency for our three service boards, the CTA, Metra, and PACE. Uh, The RTA itself is a rather small organization. We don't actually provide any service, but we do provide a lot of regional planning work. A uh, little bit about our region, if you're not familiar, we are, do cover the six-county area. We're one county smaller than uh, CMAP's MPO area. Um, we are the third largest uh, transit system in the United States after New York and L.A. So what is transit-oriented development? So these pictures here kind of depict how we actually see TOD, um, how we generally define it as its mixed-use development, a mix of residential, commercial, office space, places where people can live, where they can work, where they can play. Um, Generally a little bit higher density. We don't want to call it dense development because it really does uh, depend on um, the the location and individual um, location of each community. It's walkable. There's a lot of pedestrian amenities, crosswalks. Uh, sidewalks, it's easy to get to transit, it's development that supports transit use. Um, So the access is a big piece. Um, It's generally defined as about a a quarter to half mile radius around a transit station or a bus station. That's generally uh, the length people are willing to walk to access transit. It's a little bit longer, the half mile for rail stations, and it's a little bit shorter for bus stations, so more of a quarter mile. And it is uh, train and bus TOD, Um, so that's something we'll talk about a little bit today. Um, And like I said, it can really vary station to station. There's not a one-size-fits-all remedy to all station areas. Um, You can come down to the city of Chicago where you have high-rises, dense development, and some places out in the suburbs, getting above three stories might be a little bit difficult, but, but that's okay because that's what works in that community. 
so as David mentioned, um, our primary vehicle for providing TOD uh, planning and implementation assistance at the local level is our community planning program. Uh, this is a program that's been around since 1998. Um, we funded well over 100 studies. We're actually nearing 200 studies. Um, it's a program that's open to all local governments in our six-county area, as well as our three service boards. Uh, in terms of eligible projects, um, we do a little bit more than transit-oriented development. So we also do transit improvement plans, looking at service improvements as well as access improvements. Uh, we'll do corridor plans along a bus route, looking at service and access and a little bit of land use recommendations. Um, we've also started getting into um, offering implementation projects through the program, and that's something we'll talk about a little bit more um, later on. Um, but like I said, this is our main vehicle for providing uh, implementation and planning assistance through TOD. So we're going to talk about that quite a bit. Um, a little bit of the stats for the program, just to kind of break it out for you. Um, this is for the community planning program as a whole. The 49%, you'll see that's um, the TOD planning and implementation, or just the TOD planning that we provide. So it's almost half of the program is TOD. So it really is our, our main focus. Um, and the rest is broken down between the transit improvement plans we do and also our, our implementation category, which is smaller, but we've only been offering implementation assistance for a few years, so it's actually pretty significant. Uh, this breaks down the transit to development piece of the plan. So the big blue pie piece, that's all of our TOD planning we've done. Um, the other categories, that little slice there makes up maybe a little bit more of the quarter. Uh, that's our implementation work that we've been doing. Um, so like I said, we're hoping that this, this big blue piece gets a little bit smaller and the implementation pie piece gets a little bit bigger um, as we move forward. We're finding that um, the implementation work we're doing is pretty popular. A little bit about um, the funding with the program. How do we actually get some of these projects done? Um, it's a mix of sources. Um, about half the money comes from the RTA, from our budget, but we also leverage some federal funding um, that we receive and then also ask for some local match on some of these bigger projects um, with local communities. So giving this presentation, I gave us an opportunity to have sit back and look at the program over the years to see how it's really um, changed and adapted to what uh, community needs are and what's going on with the market. Uh, I'm not going to go through every year and bore you tonight, but there's, um, there's a few stops along the way here that I thought were kind of interesting to, to kind of cover tonight. Um, it's a program that's constantly changing. We adapt to the market. Um, we look what the communities need um, and try to change the program um, Almost every year, actually, we'll have a few changes. So the program started back in 1998. It started with a pilot project um, with the village of Tinley Park down in the south at their two metro stations they have there. We're actually still actively working with the village of Tinley Park on implementation. So that just shows how long sometimes it can take to implement some of these, pro some of these plans. They really are 20 to 30 year plans. Um, and Tinley Park has seen a lot of implementation, and, and you're really never done with it. Um, so we're still working with them. Um, the official launch of the program is really in 1999 when we had a full program of projects. And, and one of the points I want to make here is that the community planning program really was one of the first programs of its kind in the country. Um, today, um, you'll see these programs in almost every major metropolitan area in the country. Um, big programs in the Bay Area, in Denver, out in New Jersey, in the Twin Cities. Um, everyone does it a little bit differently, and some areas do it a little better than we do. Um, our area is unique. A lot of these programs are run by the MPO in their regions. Um, we have our own program at the RTA. Our MPO CMAP also has a program, their local technical assistance program that they launched a few years ago. 
Um, so they're two separate programs, but we do coordinate with each other pretty heavily on them. Um, we actually have a, a joint call for projects that we do every year for both of our programs so that applicants can access both programs at the same time. So everything's unique, um, but we do make it work here. So the program's going along for a few years. It's pretty popular. We're pumping out some plans. And then uh, the market tanks in 2007. Um, so a lot of the, the, um, hmm, the momentum we had on the program it was starting to stall. Um, we weren't seeing implementation on anything. Um, but it was an opportunity to kind of step back and do some more planning. A lot of uh, municipal governments, their planners had some time to do some more planning because uh, developments were slowing down. Um, so that, that actually, I think, worked in our favor. Um, I also think the, the market downturn actually worked in favor of TOD itself. Um, we found that once the market started adjusting itself, that most of the interest from private developers was not on some of these stalled subdivisions out in greenfields in the middle of nowhere. Um, but now they're more interested in infill development near transit. So I think, you know, this was bad for the economy, but in the end it worked out well for TOD, so we think that was good. Um, but it was also about this time that we realized that we really need to be more involved uh, with the implementation side of things. Um, there's only so much we could do to change the market, but we realized if we wanted something to really happen for all these plans that we've been funding, we need to get more involved in that. So this is when we started thinking about you know, how, how we could get involved. So 2009 is really when we started uh, rolling out our implementation focus and started to kind of formulate a plan for how we could do this. Um, we had staff focused completely on implementation. Um, and Tony's happy about this because we brought him on to lead all of our efforts uh, for TOD implementation. One of the first things he did was to reach out to all of the communities we'd worked with previously through the program and see where they were at, where they were at with things. Um, had they seen a lot of implementation? Were they having some, some troubles? Was there some places we could maybe step in and help them? Um, so he had to meet with every single uh, previous grantee. Um, so that took a while. But we also um, did some surveys. We surveyed municipalities. What is it that you think you could need from us? We also surveyed the private sector. Um, what did developers think they need from the municipal side? What could we do to help them? We were trying to kind of figure out where we could fit in with all this. Uh, we also started to do a better inventory and tracking of all the implementation that was going on. We really didn't have a, a good sense of that. Um, in the past, we funded the plan. We helped them put that together. And once it was adopted, we kind of walked away and said, OK, good luck. Keep this update if anything happens. Um, but we really want to be more involved in that. So we actually have a pretty good online database. If you're interested, it's our RTAMS website, rtams.org. Uh, we have updates on every plan we've ever funded, as well as current status of any implementation that's going on. So um, it helps us to understand what's going on. But it's also good to provide some lessons learned between um, the different communities. Um, again, we're going to be an ongoing resource to all of our previous grantees. So we don't just leave them when their plan is done. We call them up. We see what's going on. We let them know there's an open door. If they're having any issues, to call us up and see what it is maybe we could help them with. And like I said, the market was starting to reposition at this time, and a lot of the focus was on TOD development. So this was, this was pretty good for us. So in 2011, we actually added implementation as an eligible category for the community planning program. Um, there's three main uh, categories that we added. The first are TOD zoning codes. Uh, almost every plan that we funded recommends somewhere in there that you probably need to update your zoning to support TOD um, to make it 
illegal type of development. Um, so now we're actually funding, actually putting the new zoning in place, and that's been pretty popular. And the second most popular are developer panels. Uh, this is something we partnered with our local chapter of ULI. Um, we actually get a few developers. We go out to a community. Um, it's a small group. We tour some available development sites they have in their TOD area, and the developers sit down and give some really honest and frank feedback of what those communities could do to support transit. Uh, and communities really like that because it's just a, a, you know, a quick rundown of what they could do to really support private development and hearing it from the people who are going to do that investment. Uh, this, uh, the third is pedestrian access plans. Uh, this is something that goes into a little bit more detail than some of our um, other plans. We actually go out and say, okay, this is where we need a sidewalk. This is where we need a crosswalk. Excuse me. Okay, sorry, I'm losing my voice here, so I'm going to try to get through this for you. Um, and we'll actually give some really detailed um, suggestions of what you can do so these communities can then take those detailed plans and get some funding for those plans. Um, we did this recently with LaGrange, and they actually have funding to implement almost every single recommendation from that plan. <coughs> my last slide, I'm going to make it. <laughs> Okay, so what are we doing today? So I mentioned before, um, we don't really have capital funding. A lot of what we've been doing for implementation is really policy implementation. Um, so we've really been focusing on where we can get some capital funding. And so what we did earlier this year was launch what we call the Access to Transit Improvement Program. Um, this is available to all previous community planning grantees and focusing on small bicycle, pedestrian, and transit access improvements, sidewalks, crosswalks, pedestrian signal heads, bike racks, and we're bundling together into one application to the CMAC program, the um, excuse me, Congestion Mitigation Air Quality Program through CMAP. Um, these are projects that will, probably wouldn't stand alone very well through the program, so we're bundling together in one larger application. <laughs> we received 30 applications, so we're still kind of working through those now, and we'll, we'll submit our application later, and, and, and hopefully we can get something done. This was something we did as a pilot project um, during the last round of CMAC, and we were successful. We got $2.5 million in funding for four different communities, and those projects are moving forward. So we're crossing our fingers that we can make something happen here again. All right, we're at the end of my voice, so I'm going to pass things over to Tony here, and he'll cover a few case studies for you. Thanks, Heather. Good timing. Good evening, everyone. Um, so you heard from Heather. She talked about the program, kind of give you, gave you a background on what we do. Now we want to show you some examples of the work that we've done throughout the region. As Heather mentioned, we cover the six counties. So our work can travel all the way as far north as Winthrop Harbor, all the way as far south as, as Harvey and Orland Park, and way out west in Duquesne County. So we cover a lot of ground. Um, and here's just a quick map of a few of the things we're going to talk about today. We've, as Heather said, we've done almost 200 plans, but we just chose four because we would be here all night if we told you about everything we did. The first one we did was something that was just um, approved by the city of Chicago um, a few months ago, I believe, and they were the grantee. They came to us. Actually, they first came to us in 2009 and said, we want to take a look at all the CTA stations in, in the city which obviously are quite a few, and take a look at 
the land use around there and, and see if we can come up with a type or what we call a typology for the different types of stations, looking at what is around the station now and what could be around the station in, in the future. We did the same thing uh, for the metro stations. A lot of folks don't realize there's 70-something-ish metro stations in the city of Chicago. You don't think there are that many, but there actually are. Um, so what we did was we hired a consultant to take a look at all of these station areas and, and essentially categorize them. And it's probably hard to see on here, um, but there's eight or nine or so categories there um, of different types of uh, Land use, land uses. For example, the first one is is a downtown core. We all know what that would be. Um, the last one is mixed residential industrial neighborhood. That would be probably where the Mars stop is out in sort of the the, the near northwest side. Um, what we did was look at the design, um, what could be the design in the design of the the area, any improvements that we think would be possible or feasible there, um, and also the access. Uh, a lot of these stations are sort of tucked away in neighborhoods, and we wanted to ensure that uh, we can come up with some recommendations for good access as more folks move to these areas and need to walk or ride a bike to a station. Um, again, it builds off what we did in 09 with all the CTA stations, and um, it's a way for, for the city to categorize every station that, that's in the city. And this, this really is very helpful, not only for the aldermen and for the city planners, but also for potential developers as well. This gives them a sense of, of what types of development the city might want to see in some of these areas if it is something that is developer-friendly or of interest to a developer. <clears throat> Another great case study that we're, uh, we're sort of using to death, but it's just such a great example of what's, what's going on in the South End right now is Orland Park um, and their 143rd Street station. Um, we funded a TOD plan for Orland Park in 2000. It was one of the first ones that we did after Tinley, and I think not Elmhurst, but I know there's another one in there that was really early. Um, uh, again, they, they, they saw some development down there in the early 2000s, but that was mostly out in some greenfield sites, not really near the, the train station. Um, but they did work with Metro, and in 07, they got a beautiful new station, which you can see here. Um, it was a collaboration of a couple of different types of funding sources. It's a fantastic new station. Um, and at the same time, they also looked at LaGrange Road, which, which um, doesn't exactly parallel the tracks right there, but it, but it crosses not too far away from 143rd Street. And um, they improved LaGrange Road. It still had to be a fairly wide street because there is high traffic counts on there. But the sidewalks were widened. They put some nice stamped concrete in, in the crosswalks and upgraded the crosswalks. So it was a little bit more pedestrian-friendly than it was before. Um, which even though they're, they're working on a, a major road, we still saw that as some sort of TOD implementation because it, it improved access in the area. And there's actually a bus route along LaGrange Road that I'm hoping folks felt was a little bit safer to get to now that these improvements were made. Um, and then if you guys read the papers in the suburbs, last year or two years ago, Orland decided to do something fairly innovative for the region, and they entered a public-private partnership with an apartment builder, um, and they actually funded a 295-unit uh, apartment building right adjacent to the 143rd Street station um, called 9750 on the Park. This was unique in that it was a very expensive project, and the, the village actually did not... Um, or the, I'm sorry, the developer was not interested in putting a lot of money, and so the village actually bonded out most of the construction costs and became the general contractor for the project. Uh, anybody who is in the construction business or the development builders understands how complicated that could be, especially for a village to do. Um, essentially, the village is on the hook for the taxes if uh, the project wasn't successful. 
Luckily for them, it was very successful and it leased up fairly quickly, I think quicker than they had anticipated. Um, and it's great because there's 295 units full of folks that hopefully most of them are actually taking the train. And it was, uh, it was attractive to them because it was one of the first projects near that new station. Um, and I think they did a... They did some surveying of the residents that were in there, and a lot of them were uh, younger younger folks that worked downtown that came from the city, um, but wanted to move to the suburbs and still wanted that sort of urban feel. And then also um, older adults, some retirees that wanted to have really nice access to the trains so they can get downtown. Um, to complement that, they actually just recently approved phase two, which is the U of C is actually going to move or builds a medical center down there, which we believe is going to be some doctor's offices um, right near that site, right next door to that site. And there's going to be some first floor retail as well, which is going to start to bring some activity down there during the day and hopefully bring some more residents to that area, which leads to the next project that was approved down there recently it was 230 residential units across the street. That, um, that's also going to have a grocery store. Right now it's Mariano's, and if all those deals go through, that's going to be across the street. So this is, this is a great example of, of an area that was really underbuilt and distressed for a long time. We identified stuff like this in the plan in 2000, and they call this the Metro Triangle. And it's a triangular piece of land that they've been looking at since 2000. They've acquired a lot of the property, and I think at the APA conference they said they've spent you know tens, $20 million just fixing this site up and doing some research and trying to figure out what they can actually put there. And all that work is actually com coming to fruition now, which is great. Um, and there are very few TOD areas like this in the region right now that are going to have a major grocery store across the street that folks can walk to, which is, which is really cool. So things are growing great for Orland. We just hope that this can happen in other communities throughout the region as well. Another case study we like to talk about is Mundelein, which is up in the, um, the north, north suburbs. Uh, we funded a plan for them in 05. Um, and, and back then in 05, when we were doing our plans, you know, the market was better. We thought there's going to be probably more intense residential uses and a lot more units coming to a lot of these TOD areas. And I think that's what Mundelein envisioned as well. Um, nobody's fault. It's just how things were going and things were great for everybody. But when the market started to take a turn, a lot of the suburbs, as Heather alluded to earlier, they, they, they suffered a little bit. Um, and we're not able to to see these plans through. And, and Mundelein is a great example of how they tweaked some parts of their plan to um, to address a market that they didn't think would be there at the time. Um, as I mentioned, there's uh, most of the plan uh, suggested residential, but there was definitely some office and commercial and retail pieces to this as well. Um, but they did a new zoning ordinance, and, and, and well, they did a new zoning ordinance in 2012. This is a little bit out of order, I guess. My apologies. Um, in 08, they did approve a condo building. It's actually supposed to be nine buildings called Cardinal Square. The first building went up, sold at a, at a decent pace for 2008. Um, there were units that were still vacant as of a few years ago in there, and then the rest of the project stalled. And, and it, was, it was unfortunate that it was the one nice building the new building in the TOD area, and that was it. And then, and the existing older stock of stuff was still there, which was fine, but this project didn't jumpstart kind of the TOD boom for them as they had hoped. Um, so they did adopt a new zoning ordinance in 2012, which made things, I think, a little bit more attractive, a little bit easier for, for developers to come in, and they stripped away some of the approval uh, process time, and which is very attractive to the development community because it means you're going to spend less money in the pre-development. So they did that. Unfortunately, they did it after this project kicked off, but that's okay. They did it, and that's what's important. Well, in 2013, they went ahead and purchased almost 20 acres in what they called their village center area, 
Um, there's a Washburn guitar uh, manufacturer there, and there's some other old industrial buildings there. They purchased all of that and, and raised most of it <clears throat> and came up with a, sort of a bit of an updated master plan for that area. What happened was the the firm that did a lot of the master planning decided that they liked this area so much that they were going to move their headquarters here. <clears throat> so the engineering firm that did most of the work decided to enter an agreement with them, and they built this building right here, um, which is a two-story office mixed use, I guess, if you will. And, um, and uh, Mundelein decided to move their village hall to the first floor, and the engineering firm moved their headquarters upstairs. Um, and they chose this site because of the access to the train and because it's in this growing downtown area. And that was great for, for Mundelein because it brought this firm's 75 or 100 folks that work there every day to their village center area. Um, this just opened um, in, in the early summer, and they just had a, a ribbon-cutting ceremony um, at the end of the summer. And, and uh, they're very excited there, and we're, we're hoping that more more things happen. And actually, this summer, this phase two of Cardinal Square opened and broke ground, or broke ground, and it's going to be apartments and not condos, as most of us know that right now apartment rentals are, are kind of the way to get residential projects done in the suburbs. Um, so I, I believe Mundelein is still very happy with what's happening there. They're going to be increasing their density in their village center area, and they're bringing more people downtown. I think they would prefer to see condo ownership, but unfortunately right now it's, it's apartments or, or not much. And I, I believe that the other phases will, the subsequent phases that will follow um, when it's appropriate, but I think they're already starting to plan for the third phase. Elmhurst, it's a western suburb. And they were one, another one of our, the first group of TOD plans that we funded back in 1999. They've always been a fairly progressive town. In the late 90s, they actually stripped away most of their commercial parking requirements and um, encouraged folks to uh, park in a parking deck that they built back then and they wanted they, they wanted a walkable community back in the, in the late 90s when it was still really only the urban planners who were talking about that stuff and, and not just your your average or your random towns that had a metro station um, they, since the plan was fairly old they decided in 06 to update their plan again when things were a little bit hotter um, and they and they uh, put it together a, a wayfinding signage program in their downtown that is great it, it showed everybody where the train was, where buses are, um, where Village Hall is, where the parking decks are, and, and wayfinding is something that we encourage a lot of communities to look into to improve, especially uh, to improve access to transit. Sometimes people think, envision access to transit being a sidewalk or crosswalk. Sometimes it's as easy as just pointing people in the direction of where to park your car if you want to get on Metro or, or where, where a bus stop is. Um, so we certainly encourage this. And they, they funded a few parking decks in their downtown. They actually worked with Metra on one deal um, for, I guess, what I would call a mixed-use parking deck. There's some, some retail parking in there, and there's also some commuter parking as well. Um, they've definitely been one of the more innovative communities in our region when it comes to parking in a downtown area, which, again, if anyone is familiar with any development at all, parking kills deals. Um, and so they've been able to figure out a way to to encourage folks to build there and not have to worry about parking as much as you might in some other communities. Um, so they have this parking deck. They're working on another parking deck and another parking deck, I believe, right now. So they're anticipating tons more people parking their cars there, which is great because the downtown area is alive. It's booming. There are very few vacancies. And they're actually starting to see new development as well. They just approved, I, I believe, this building on the bottom here is almost 300 units of apartments um, right in their downtown area. They also just recently approved a 
a 30-unit condo building, which is very surprising to me, but I, I understand these are very high-end condos, like very, very high-end, which somebody uh, believes that there is a market for that in Elmhurst, and, and everybody out there believes there's a market for it, and we're hoping that it that it, it pops and that it, and it's a great success. Um, but I know there are more opportunities out there to build more residential units and bring more commercial to the area. So we're hoping that this all kind of jump starts with, with this project here. Um, those are just a few examples of the things we do. Heather mentioned our RTAMS website. We'd encourage you to go there to check out all of the plans that we've done. We have uh, most of the zoning ordinance updates that we've funded on there, um, summaries of all the developer panels that we've done. Another piece of the work we do to encourage TOD is, is education and, and research. So we publish um, quite a few reports um, covering things like zoning for TOD areas, um, streamlining the entitlement process for TOD. This is something that Heather and I both believe in very strongly, and we talked about when I first started there. Um, a lot of projects get killed not only on the parking, but also because they take too long to be approved. And... When the market was bad and communities were really focusing on planning, one thing we encouraged them to do was take a look at their process to get a project approved and see if there's ways you can strip away some of the additional layers there, maybe give the administration more control if a developer is going to come in and, and build by right and not ask for any variances, and really just, just in, incentivize developers to come to your town. Tell them that how long it's going to take them to get a project approved instead of making them guess how many years it's going to take. See if you can get it done in a year. You know, see if you can if there's ways you can strip away. And th and this would, we felt, would encourage development in TOD areas if you just if you incentivize folks to to come there. And the quicker they can get a project approved, the quicker they can make money and move on to the next deal. And since we feel that land is the best value is near a transit asset, whether it's on a bus corridor or it's near a metro station, we wanted to work with communities to make to make it as as attractive as possible. Um, so those are the two big things that, that we've done. We've also done some of the smaller ones here, um, focusing more on, on access to transit. Um, we have a, a, a document here called Making Way, which discusses how you can improve access um, around transit assets. Uh, we've done some basic <clears throat> educational kind of primers, if you will, on TOD for some communities that aren't too familiar with, with the concept. Um, we've actually done something called Setting the Stage for Transit for Communities probably further out that do not have any transit yet but would like to have transit in the future. And there's certainly an order of operations as to how you can get transit to your town. It doesn't start with a train. It doesn't usually even start with a bus. Sometimes it starts with a, some sort of dial-a-ride or, or a community-based uh, bus program like that. So that, that document um, is great for communities that are looking to maybe bring transit in down the road. Um, we've also put out every year just to highlight a report that highlights a lot of the implementation that's happening in the region um, and throughout some of our under, un, other funding programs as well. A lot of what I talked to you about before with the case studies, we would put a lot of case studies into a document like that. And on the end, there's another one that, that we like to tout is um, our access um, and parking strategies for TOD. Uh, there's a lot of innovative, uh, we did some research on some innovative ways to, uh, to handle parking in, in a TOD area, and, um, and that's a great document for that. The newest piece and the, the thing we've sort of been taking on the road now for, for the past few months is a TOD resident survey that we administered uh, earlier this year in January, I believe. We, we've been changing things up. We've been, we've been doing a lot of research the past few years, and the one thing we don't have in this region is, is really, really solid local data on TOD. 
you know, Heather and I, we answer to a board, our, our, our TA board, and, you know, they, they, they believe in what we do <clears throat> because they fund it every year, but they always ask us if, if TOD increases ridership. Now, most people will say yes. It's really hard to, to quantify that and, and prove that without looking at a lot of other factors. We feel that TOD does help to increase ridership, but we, kind of, we wanted to really see what was going on in our region um, with people that were living in a TOD area. So we needed this local data. We wanted to understand the demographics of TOD residents and, and does living near transit really influence the way you travel either immediately around your house to work or throughout the region? Um, and what were some of your motivating factors for actually moving to a TOD area and did your lifestyle change at all? We believe all these things happen when you move to a TOD area, but we really wanted some proof. So we decided to administer a survey. Um, and again, TOD area is a half mile radius around a transit station area. So we focused on metro station areas uh, in the suburbs, and we surveyed just under 38,000 households. We got a whopping 665 responses. And it's really okay to laugh at that, because we laughed at it as well. And we actually were really... I, th I think at, at first we were a little concerned, but but then we talked to our, our stats folks and, and the, the ones who are really good with statistics, which is not me, it's Heather, um, and realized that we actually got double the responses that we needed for a, a statistically significant sample of 99% confidence, right? Yes. So we actually got double the amount of responses we really needed to come up with some really good general statements about TOD. And we we didn't we weren't looking to dig really deep in and and analyze every single person that answered and, and look at across the board at every answer. We just wanted to look at the groups of folks that answered and see how things changed. We wanted to know what kind of development they were living in and how that changed from one place to the next. Um, you know, we had 32 questions that we asked them and it was all about what what were you doing? What was the situation before and what was the situation now? We also offered a $100 gift card, so I hope that that incentivized a few people to answer. Um, I, I attended a, a great uh, session at Railvolution a couple months ago on surveying, and I was like, well, hey, I'm going to go check this out since I'm like, you know, way into the surveying thing now, and I'm a, man, I'm a pro at this. Not a pro. Um, but I actually spoke to some folks, and, and a difficult way to survey is to send a postcard. But we weren't really sure how else to do it. This is the first time we've done it, so there were some lessons learned for sure. Um, but we got, we got the information out of this that we wanted, um, and we're really happy with it because what it does is it actually has, 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 has backs up and it proves a lot of the things we've been saying since the late 90s with our, with our TOD work. Um, here's where we surveyed. I don't know if you can see it very well. Um, there's 14 different communities. Again, we chose we chose not to survey the city of Chicago for a handful of reasons. There, there, there are a myriad of reasons why folks choose to live in, in the city versus suburbs. Also, a lot of the city can be technically classified as a TOD, so we weren't really sure where to survey folks in the city. And the majority of our work really is in the suburbs. The city does come to us for a lot of work, like you saw earlier with the typology um, studies. But the majority of our work, the TOD work specifically, happens in the suburbs. So we really wanted to see what was going on out there. And really quickly, I'll tell you, we, we surveyed Mundelein, Woodstock, Elgin, Arlington Heights, Morton Grove, Evanston around the Davis Street Station, Bensonville, Wheaton, Elmhurst, Oak Park, uh, Stone Avenue, which is in LaGrange, 143rd Street, Orland Park, Joliet, and Richton Park. We wanted to make sure we hit every metro line. 
Um, we also wanted to get a, a good cross-section of, of types of TOD areas. For example, Richton Park has a couple hundred unit apartment building that's been there since the 70s. So they've been at TOD technically since the 70s because um, they, have, they have great bus, bus access down there as well. Um, so, and so we wanted to get some folks that have seen development in the past few years, that have seen it in the past couple decades, and I think we got a great cross-section. And we also wanted to go fairly far out um, to sort of the edges of our region to see what was going on out there compared to, you know, the Evanston and Oak Parks, which is essentially just, a, you know, right outside the city, so you know it's going to be denser there anyway. But a place like Woodstock is not as dense. Um, so one of the questions we asked was, what were the... What were the reasons why you chose your your current neighborhood? Actually, I should back up real quick. We so we um, we tried to geocode their previous address and their new address to see where they moved. And, and while there's some folks that looked like they could have been in a TOD area, they were really spread out uh, around the region. And then when you look back at this map, all of the responses clustered around these areas, which is exactly what we wanted. So we didn't have a lot of anomalies with the. With the addresses, so we thank the post office for that. Um, but the first thing we wanted to know was, was why did you move here to this TOD area? And we're happy to report that these are the top five reasons why. Um, and, and we asked them to rank. We, we gave them a choice. We asked them to rank. Um, rank all these choices as to why you moved. And safety was number one, which is a little interesting to us. We, weren't, we didn't really think that was number one. We thought maybe it would be close to transit service or because there are shops where I don't have to drive my car as much. Safety was number one, and we spent a lot of time trying to figure out what that actually meant, and I think we all have a different idea, and it's really up to everybody's interpretation, but I can't imagine anybody would not choose that. If you, had, if you took a survey and safety was an answer, I'm sure everybody would choose safety because nobody wants to be unsafe. Um, the closest transit service was great to see up there. You walk, walkability is great. Um, shops and services nearby, obviously a great amenity in a TOD area, um, and less dependent on a car. That was what we wanted to see in there, too. We wanted to know if folks were really using their cars less. So we asked them, did your commute change? Um, and what we really wanted to know is are people using transit more and walking more and using their car less? And it came out to look like there were, there were less responses saying that they drove alone for, for their their commute. Now we asked them to give us, I think we asked them to give us two, give us one or two ways you get to work. Because obviously some folks have to drive to the, to the metro station to get downtown. That's, you know, that's okay. But we wanted to know what, what, what did you, you, what do you, how do you get to, how do you commute the majority of your commute in the morning? What is that? And so we showed that there were more responses in, in their current home, which is in the orange um, use transit, which is great. Now we also we had to we had to get, try to catch everything possible. So we included: you work at home, are you not employed, are you retired, other meaning do you take a cab, things like that. We want to make sure we captured everything for statistics purposes. Um, but we what we really wanted to see is there were less responses in the current in the current home that drove alone, and there were more that used transit, which is great. Walking stayed the exact same, um, and biking went down a little bit, which. At first, I think we were a little bummed out about, but maybe that just means that they don't have to bike around as much because everything they need is closer to them. So that would be great. We also asked about non-commute mode because we realized your travel patterns are different depending on if you're going to work or not or if it's, if it's the weekend and you don't, you don't work on the weekend. Um, we're, we're, our system is set up for commuters, right? We, we, we have all these, all these train stations that all come right down into the loop. Um, all these train lines that come into the loop. So we, we really wanted to know what they were doing when they were not working. 
Um, and driving alone, again, there were less, less responses for that, which is great. And, and pe- more people were walking. Uh, we got a lot more responses for folks that are walking. Biking, again, was down, a little odd. But transit use was also more, which is great. Um, that's exactly what we wanted to see. Um, and we're going to, re- we're going to um, release a report on this as well, and everything will be online. So if you want to see all the questions, we can get that to you sometime in the future. We're still working out the final details on the report. But basically what we learned from this survey is um, well, we were able to confirm why TODs are attractive. The things we've been saying for years, we feel, were confirmed through this survey. <clears throat> um, we saw a mode shift in commute um, and non-commuting behaviors, which is good. And we, again, we uh, more people said that they were taking transit in their new location, which is great, and um, using their car less. We actually saw car, car ownership trending downward. Um, for the first couple times we did this presentation, we had this really sweet slide that showed the dramatic decrease in car ownership from the previous home to the current home. It was to 1.3, which isn't a dramatic decrease, but we made it look that way. Um, we decided to pull that. <laughs> we decided to pull the slide out and just tell you, but we can say definitively that car ownership trended down, which is great. What we did see at the same time is that parking availability increased. Um, a couple of the questions that we asked were, do you have dedicated off-street parking available to you? Was it offered when, when you moved? Did you have it beforehand? And we saw that there was more available, dedicated, off-street, non-commuter parking in the TOD areas, <clears throat> unless people own cars. So we felt that, there, that there's some sort of you know mis, mismatch there. Um, we saw higher density development when we asked folks what kind of building you lived in um, now, as opposed to, to then or previously. Um, we saw more multi-unit buildings, saw about the same amount of townhomes, um, which makes sense because they're appropriate in TOD areas because you like to have a good mix of, of housing types. Um, but the building types, you know, they did change. You get, you just—it's much more denser in a TOD area, which makes sense. We actually saw a higher um, number of responses uh, that that are, are retirees that chose to live in TOD areas. So we're hoping that TODs. This means that TODs are attractive to folks that are retired and they want to move to an area where they have to use their car less and they have to, they, they're able to walk around and, and and have access to more things that they need on a day-to-day basis. Um, we're also going to include some recommendations in our report too. We not only administered this survey for ourselves to understand what's going on in TOD areas, but but also to help us with the work we do providing technical assistance and support to communities and working with developers um, and even working with some employers and, and, and things of that nature. Um, so communities are always asking us, you know, what are other communities doing or what do the developers say? You know, we we want to know what, what kind of the hottest things are. Um, but what we're recommending is, is, you know, that, that developers consider including a full range of, of amenities in a neighborhood. You know, don't just go right to the bank and the dry cleaner. Try, you know, see if you can get support for a local grocer, things of that nature, and really see if you can develop an area that is less dependent on a car. We're not saying that everybody get rid of their car. We just maybe are suggesting don't have three cars if you guys are want to live in a TOD area. You know, maybe have one. For you know, we understand that you, this isn't New York City. You can't get just about everywhere on transit. That's that. You know, that's how it goes. But if you can, if developers can, and even communities, if they can allow a great mix of amenities in a TOD area that will encourage people to walk and use alternate forms of transportation. 
and uses our car less. Um, we understand that the majority of commute trips are going to be to and from, or majority of transit trips are going to be commuting to and from work. But if, if there are ways to, to get folks on the buses just to make short trips and, and even get on trains to make a little bit longer trips, that'd be fantastic. We also encourage communities and developers to invest in and improve the walkability and, and safety, obviously, because that was number one, and the pedestrian access to transit. You'll be surprised to see how um, a bus line in our region will improve, the ridership will improve when um, the line improves their sidewalks and their bus stops and their signage. Uh, Randall Road in, in Kane County is a great example. They got some funds to... Um, fix up a lot of the stops on Randall Road and, and put in new bus pads um, and some new shelters, and their ridership, we believe, is increasing. So it, it, it's very important to us that everybody, everybody can access both the buses and the trains. And and if you can improve the walkability, you can improve the safety, not only are people going to walk to transit, but hopefully they're going to walk around the neighborhood as well. Something else that we're, we're uh, sort of diving into more recently is, is TOD marketing efforts. Our, our department actually was rebranded last year, the Planning and Market Development Department. Um, so it's one thing to plan, but we also should be helping everybody market TOD and what a great thing it is. Um, we're starting to see more and more communities putting funds towards a rebranding campaign or a marketing campaign, not only for their entire town, but for their TOD areas as well, and, and using their transit assets as sort of a foundation to say, hey, this is a great place to live, and you should come check it out, all the great amenities we have here. So this is something that communities should, should we encourage them to look into doing. Um, you know, tell everybody that you have property available in your TOD area. <clears throat> now the development market is coming back and the economy is strengthening. Developers are going and looking for projects in places they've never looked at before. Um, back when things were great, developers sort of were hyper-focused on a certain area or certain region or, or a certain train line or corridor. Now everyone's looking everywhere and they're looking for things that, you know, for projects that they may would not have considered 10 years ago. So if communities can really get out there, talk about the great things that are happening, we think that'll help. Another thing we're recommending is to right-size residential parking. We use the term right-size because, again, we're not saying get rid of all parking. We're not saying get rid of all cars. We're not Portland. We're not West Coast. We're, we're, you know, we, people need cars here. Um, but you, know, you might not need to require one and a half or two spaces per unit. Um, you might not need to require four spaces per thousand feet of retail. See if there are ways that you can reduce the amount of parking you need and certainly consolidate it. Look into building you know, parking structures that can accommodate more cars on less land. Don't have scattered site parking. And you know that's something that's going to take more time, but we're starting to see it move towards uh, communities wanting and requiring less parking and developers wanting to, to build less parking. So we hope that continues. Um, and again, parking is okay, just not tons of it. We don't want to see, see the parking everywhere. And again, encur and, and encourage employers to be transit supportive. Um, and this is something that probably the development community, the RTA, and the transit agencies and um, developers can all sort of participate in. It's in encourage folks, like, like the, the engineering firm in Mundelein, they wanted to move their offices. I don't know where they were before, but it sounds like they were not anywhere near transit, and now they're right by a metro station. And if, and if we can help communities encourage employers to move near transit, I think that can help jumpstart some of these TOD areas. Everybody wants a great anchor in their TOD area, and if we can get employers to do so, 
you think that'll move things in the right direction. You want me to do it? You, can, you good? Okay. Thank you. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about what we've been doing over the past few years here, um, but what are we working on in the coming year or so? We're seeing the market recovering, so this is great. There's so many projects going on. We're having a hard time even keeping track of what's going on. So this is these are good these are good times. Um, so what we'd like to do to kind of get a handle on what actually is going on out there is we'd like to survey all the communities we've worked with on all the actual approved projects that they have, so we can actually have a detailed inventory of okay, we saw 250 residential units go into. Uh, Mundelein or wherever it was, but this way we can really have some data on what's going on instead of just, oh, we heard that there's there's new development going in, but we'd really like to start tracking that because things really are um, picking up after a few years of not seeing much going on. Um, also, um, we finally have some new ridership figures at the station level for Metra. For anyone who follows us, we've been working with 2006 data for quite a while, um, so we're excited about that. Um, mode of access is also coming out soon. So we're interested in taking a look at all the places we've done TOD work um, and seeing how things may have changed over the years. And we're going to continue outreaching to the private sector in our communities to see what else we can do to help them. And that's it. And just as a reminder, as we open this up for Q&A, just put your hand up and I'll come to you with the microphone so that we can record your question for the podcast. Thanks. Uh, most of the uh, transit lines go from suburban communities to downtown Chicago, and there's little going crossway-wise. Uh, has the RTA done any study in terms of where people actually work? Uh, do they all work downtown in Schaumburg, or are there other industrial retail corridors that bus rapid transit or some other uh, transit line might assist uh, that, that goes beyond the, the normal way that we, we, we build transit? So we have done some market analysis to look at that. Um, most people do work in the downtown area, but there are some pockets out in Oak Brook, out in Schaumburg, up in the Lake Cook area. Um, so those are some, some challenges we have to figure out how to serve those with transit. Um, but, you know, as we're talking about with TODs, what we're hoping is that employers start to locate near transit so it is easier to serve them. Um, some of these places out in Oak Brook were kind of challenged with figuring out how to serve it with buses, extending transit lines. It's incredibly expensive. Um, so what we're trying to do is focus on having employers locate near transit so we can kind of get away from um, trying to figure out how to serve them with transit. Uh, actually, I actually have uh, two questions. One is, as far as uh, mixed-use development goes in the suburbs, a big impediment to getting this done has been banks not willing to finance this because they feel it's an untested product in an unfamiliar market, and especially after the recession when a lot of banks got, uh, well, they lost a lot of money uh, with developments that went belly up. Uh, have you seen a change in the lending markets for that uh, that makes it more favorable for TOD? I got a second question right after. Okay. Um, yes, there, I, we're starting to see a change in that. What we're seeing is that lenders are most comfortable with apartment rental products right now. Um, they're, they're, they still seem to be fairly risk-averse when it comes to any sort of owner-occupied um, product. Also, what we're hearing from a lot of developers is that 
while mixed use is still good, sometimes it's easier to finance a mixed use project that's on a site as mixed use and maybe not in the same footprint. And then they would, they could, um, phase out the project and do commercial first residential right next door. And while they're next to each other, that's fine. Obviously people like to go right up in the air and, and use less space, but if, um, to, uh, for financing purposes, it seems like if they split those up and do them in phases, it looks like banks are more apt to, to finance them. And my second question is, in areas of the region where the bulk of the transit assets exist, particularly with uh, some inner ring suburbs, but mostly with Chicago City neighborhoods, you can do all the studies you want, you can promote it, you can do conceptual concept plans, but the big sticking point is NIMBYism and the local aldermen who basically have full control over zoning matters. In the city of Chicago, I've personally witnessed over the last 10 years many projects get watered down to the point where they either don't happen or they're delayed and uh, the project just misses the market altogether or random down zonings that happen that are completely inappropriate. So what is RTA doing to sort of circumvent that and really try to push TOD beyond just uh, the push for marketing, which is, which is great to see? Okay, I think this is on. No, that's a good point. Um, and I think this is where a lot of the education comes into play. Uh, when we're actually doing the planning studies, it's so important to have a public component to that so you can actually bring the neighbors in and say, okay, we're going to do something here. You know, we want your input, though. And so there's a, a piece of education that goes in with that so that they understand what you were looking to do. Um, you know, when it comes down to an actual project, you know, those same people that maybe participated in the TOD planning, you know, maybe they come out as a NIMBY now. And it's, it's hard to, um, to really prevent that completely. But I think the education is really a big point in bringing the community into the planning process so that they understand. You have a plan that says, all right, if we get some residential development in here, we all agree that, you know, five stories is kind of our, our limit here. So that when developments come in, there, there's no big surprise. Um, there's always going to be issues with, with certain um, locations, but really bringing the public in um, is really the best way to kind of circumvent that a little bit. I think you had a second question? Oh, that was it. Okay. Oh, good evening. Um, with the recent, um, I guess, plan uh, fair hikes that's been approved by the RTA board, and I guess Metro for uh, improving the uh, capital infrastructure and, and upgrading the um, fleet of, of transportation. Um, do you guys see any impact that that will have either positively or negatively on the future of TOD and developments with these various suburban ring communities? I would venture to say it would probably have very little impact on TOD. Will it have an impact on ridership? It, it might. Um, I'm not really sure. But in terms of TOD, I, I don't think that's going to change. Um, you know, we support TOD because we're looking to support transit. We're looking to grow ridership and grow um, support for the transit system. Um, but, but TOD is really something that, that you can have without transit. Um, it's a type of development that people are looking for. It's what people are wanting. People want to live in a TOD area, whether they're using the transit system or not. We're hoping they're using transit, but sometimes they just want to live there because they want to walk places. So I don't think it'll actually change the focus on that type of a market. Thanks again for presenting. It was really interesting.
interesting. I have a question that sort of focuses a little bit more on the marketing um, aspects and implementation. Do you think as an organization, has it been helpful to maybe utilize the Chicago typology and um, maybe even do like a sort of standardized zoning ordinance type policy for suburban areas that they could utilize that sort of as a toolkit for them to help them move from a non-TOD to a TOD-oriented community fairly seamlessly? That's a great question. Um, I think as far as zoning is concerned, when we first decided to kind of get in the zoning game and fund these types of things, we thought that there might be some sort of model TOD zoning code that we can look to um, and quickly realize that's really difficult to do because every community is different, every community wants something different, and every community looks different too. What we have been encouraging is a form-based code as opposed to a traditional code, which most planners know from the 70s or so, the Euclidean zone for those with AICP um, designation. Um, We've, we've been encouraging form-based code. It's something CMAP's encouraging as well. And what that does, if you're not familiar, is, is, is looks at the form of the the product in the, in the area, the character of the area, and worries less about floor area ratio and density and really tries to regulate the design, the look, and the feel, the height, where the, uh, the, the building would sit on the property and those types of things. Um, so as, as far as a model is concerned, we encourage more of a form-based than more of a use-based, but I don't think, I'm not sure if, a, if sort of a model code would work. We've tried to do something like that, and, and CMAP put out a great toolkit that um, I think just points to the, the types of form-based elements you could use. Hi, uh, so we've been talking about transit-oriented development, and you mentioned... Uh, improving access to bus services that are in TOD areas about how people can better get to uh, Metra. But there's this existing disconnect between how we pay for riding on the CTA and riding on alternate services that are Metra and the alternate services that get you to and from Metra. Uh, is there any discussion about how the the projects that Metra has been taking on in conjunction with this Ventra app in the future could allow it to be in a situation where by living near Metra in a TOD area, you don't have to have a PACE bus pass and a uh, Metra bus pass that are being managed separately that are really out of sync with each other and how that could improve even more that already existing shift that you've seen in terms of how people are moving once they move to these transit-rich areas. Who takes that? So starting to get out of the realm a little bit of what our expertise is, but you, you make a very good point. Um, and I think ultimately our goal is to have some sort of open fare payment system so that we don't even have to worry about what your fare card is. Um, we're working towards that. It's, it's going slowly, but um, Metro is starting to get on board and look into Ventra. But, you know, with this when we look at what prevents people from potentially using transit, if it becomes too complicated, they're not going to ride. So it is something that we have to figure out um, in the bigger scheme of things. Well, I think for the sake of time, let that be the final word. Let's have another round of applause for Heather and Tony. Thank you both so much.
On behalf of the American Planning Association, I want to thank Heather Tabert and Tony Mano for a thought-provoking and informative program on TOD in the Chicago region. Thanks also to the many APA staff members who help make this program possible every month. Information on previous and future presentations is available on APA's website, www.planning.org, under the section called Events. I'm David Morley.